Greetings, Minecrafters, and welcome to another super exciting conversation today, another Minecraft chat. My name is Dr. Kimberly Quinn, and it is my honor and pleasure to be here with you this morning to uh, talk about all things, you know, affecting the mind, uh, because the main theme, of course, of Minecraft is to become the boss of your brain, because we are what we think. When we, Whatever we think, we then feel, and that's than how we, you know, what we use to, to act and, and behave with. So welcome this morning. Today's discussion is going to be on uh, raising children as little minimalists. And of course, this is, uh, you know, very timely being as it's December 1st, we're, you know, sort of in the throes of, of the holidays and I really want to say Christmas, right? Because I think most people would agree, at least in the States anyway, that the commercialism piece is very much attached to Christmas rather than Hanukkah or any any other holidays. And there's just pop-ups everywhere. I remember, you know, back in the day when ferns covered the earth, we obviously didn't have computers. And my parents were actually very restrictive with TV. And I remember, I remember that all of a sudden, like being a young child, listen, like, where's all this coming from? You know, it hit, you know, December and the and the commercials where it seemed like they were every two seconds. We didn't get to watch a lot of TV. So I think maybe perhaps it might've been more noticeable. Um, but with all those pop-ups, you know, there is, you know, children and adults, of course, are seduced into the disease of wanting this seemingly endless craving for shiny objects and stuff. So I'm going to show, uh, yeah, throw a little shout out to Lisa Armstrong. She writes for Real Simple, and because I was reading an article that kind of inspired uh, today's chat, and she says, this is an interesting statistic here, she says, if you're like many Americans, chances are your family is swimming in stuff. Toys, clothes, trophies, electronics, cheap plastic figurines. Uh, she said to afford this abundance is a privilege, of course. When it comes to our kids, we're a nation of over-consumers. The U.S. is home to just 3.1% of the world's children, but consumes 40% of the world's toys. Wow. I mean, just think about that. 3.1% of the world's children, yet 40% of toys. I think it's also important to kind of take a, a look at our motivation as parents for buying so much stuff because it can come from a variety of ways. I mean, it can be something more on the service level, just wanting them to be happy, even though research shows uh, at a certain point that isn't true. But obviously, you have a child's underneath, just like grownups with money buying happiness. The statistics aren't really different, you know, when our basic needs aren't met, well then, yes, you know, for adults having money to a point when, you know, they're without, you know, enough, you know, they're, they're food insecure and housing insecure and not safe. And it's very, you know, Maslow's hierarchy kind of thing. And with kids, you know, little things can make them happy at a certain point though, it kind of goes in the other direction. And so it's important to really look at our motivation. So there's make kids happy. There's guilt. Uh, many times I'm here hear me parents, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging anybody. Uh, we have five fabulous young adults who are obviously once little. And my husband and I know all too well 
that parenting is the most wonderful and most challenging job there is. So just hear me when I say my, my disclaimer there. Um, plus, I remember getting wrapped up in this myself. It's tough, especially at Christmas time. So there's guilt. And let's say a classic example would be a divorced uh, parents, and it's your turn to have the child. And it's even though you might have told yourself, I'm not going to be that person, you become that person because or that parent because um, it's hard and it's the only time you get to see them. And um, so we can, we can, you know, throw guilt presents at them and guilt money at them. And that's one, another reason, or, we're, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not physically around or we're working a lot. Well, I guess also that's physically not around traveling, whatever it is. Um, guilt when we just maybe had a new baby and we're not able to pay as much attention to the other two. So we indulge that way. Uh, there are all kinds of, you know, it, you know, places guilt buying can come from. There's also uh, shame deprivation and sorry, shame deprivation, shame based. We can also be shame based, as you know, uh, my backstory, I grew up in a very addicted, turbulent household as a child. And so uh, anybody who's aware of addiction, you know, families that um, are, have a lot of addiction going on, shame is like the wall to wall carpeting or the hardwood floors. It's the trim around the windows. It's the shingles on the roof. I mean, shame is just omnipresent in, in addicted families. It doesn't mean you have to have an addicted family. Shame can still be there. But since it's such an, shame is such an excruciating, toxic emotion that, you know, uh, addicted parents and maybe non-addicted dysfunctional parents can then project this onto their kids because it's kind of like hot potato. Get rid of it. You know, and this is unconscious. They don't know they're doing it. And hence, when they, you know, placing all this shame and blame on a child, then the cycle continues. So then we grow up and become adults, maybe have families, Christmas comes or whatever other holiday, or maybe it doesn't even have to be the holidays. And uh, we try to self-medicate that shame. I think especially at the holidays, though, with, you know, being the parent we didn't have, being the mother we didn't have, being the father we didn't have not even being aware of it necessarily and, and, you know, purchasing, um, stuff, you know, because we didn't get enough love that we needed and we are associating, you know, this sort of giving with, with love. And that happens frequently, not that different when someone's deprivation based because the shame and deprivation can go together. So since I grew up in a very addicted household, as I mentioned, I also was very deprivation based, even though we came from like a regular middle-class family, people might've looked from the, you know, outside looking in, oh, the, the Quins are just fine. They have their, you know, one new used car, one used car, you know, decent little house. They're, you know, off to a Yankee game kind of thing when, you know, behind the closed doors, it wasn't like that at all. And, uh, you know, I was very deprived of, of love as a child. And so growing up as an adult, I, and I actually knew that this was going on. That's the hard part. I didn't always know this was going on. But when I did know it was going on, it was still like a runaway train. Um, because I definitely, you know, in addition to my ADHD issues, fast mind issues, which is imp I have a lot of impulse control that I, issues that I still work on. It's kind of like being a diabetic or recovering somebody. 
Yeah, even though you're in a good place, which I am, I'm I'm in a very good place, I still have to pay attention. But where I'm going with this is it was kind of a perfect storm because I have the wiring for impulsivity and I was, you know, emotionally deprived of all of those good feelings and also shame-based. And so uh, with at least with our first two kids, you know, was and I became aware of it that that was at Christmas what I was doing. In addition, some of it wasn't, not all of it was deep because a lot of it is just loving Christmas and watching little kids open gifts from Santa. And that's just fun and not deep. And that said, I went overboard. I definitely went overboard. And it was because of these deeper issues. And I had wounds that were still, you know, bleeding, to, for lack of a better way to say it. And I was aware of it. And it was still difficult to stop because it was so, such a deep, you know, uh, deep force in me. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit today and then how to go the other direction. So uh, Lisa Armstrong continues. She says, much of this stuff is around for an ostensibly sweet reason. We buy lots of toys, clothes, and other items for children to make them happy. Unfortunately, this can backfire. All the clutter and actual can actually overwhelm children and add to stress, says Kim John Payne, a family counselor and author of Simplicity Parenting, using the extraordinary power of less to raise calmer, happier, and more secure kids. I mean, this is the truth. In addition to like the deep stuff we just talked about, just clutter in general. And I know as being a member in the Fast Mind Club, I'm actually in the process of really hoeing out the house right now. Uh, This time of year, I usually do it because clutter regardless of how it got here. And I'm not the pack rat, actually. I call my husband Rat Tattooey because he likes to keep everything. I'm a thrower. But because they're, you know, we've still got some young adults here, it just adds up. And I can't even, I feel like my head's going to pop off my neck. And as they say, clutter clutter on the outside causes clutter on the inside. And it's also, the reverse is also true. And so at least as grownups, you know, we can kind of have some more awareness of that. And make a decision to to get rid of it and clear it out. But kids don't always get that. So it's our job as parents to declutter for them um, so their minds don't get cluttered up. Because that can just make school hard, relationships hard for them, just like it does for us. And if you've got a neurodiverse child, this is even more so. And then um, Lisa Armstrong goes on to say that the perks of minimalism could even reach into your child's future. The practical benefits of owning less are more money, more time, more calm, more freedom, says blogger Joshua Becker, father of two and the author of The Minimalist Home. Plus, learning to consume less is a way to practice discipline, a skill that makes it a lot easier to become a responsible adult. Kids who don't learn to exist within boundaries, may become adults who don't set them, said Becker. Wow. That's really great because that is true that, you know, the, you know, our, our kids are just watching us all day long. All, we're not always aware of that, but they're watching us all day long. And when they, you know, it's do as I say, not as I do, it doesn't work with anybody, not even five-year-olds, right? So when we walk around setting appropriate boundaries, kids, that's mirrored for them and kids sort of you know, and it becomes implicit. So that was well said there. And then it goes on to say, but in a culture of consumerism, how do you raise a minimalist? How do you teach children who are bombarded with messages from media 
and peers that they need the latest toy or pair of sneakers to be content with fewer things. So then they're going to talk about some ideas. Never mind all the tech stuff that's out there, all the bling bling, shiny objects that just seduce kids into this. Um, well, also with technology, it's the land of make pretend, but that's an episode for another time. Um, so here's some tips we're going to talk about. So uh, just as we were saying, it's it's a mirroring thing and you know monitoring or role modeling role modeling or and and or mentoring and so uh ms armstrong talks about laying the foundation preferably from the ground up because obviously it's a, a tougher sell if you've already got like a 14 year old but she says laying the foundation she said the best way to have children adopt a lifestyle is to live that way yourself. Absolutely. Promoting a lifestyle of minimalism is no different from passing along any value to our children, says Becker. We want them to be hardworking, selfless, caring, justice-minded individuals. Promoting these values always occurs the same way. We model it, we teach it, we, we correct when necessary, and we reward positive behavior. That's exactly it. Because minimalism is a lifestyle. And as you know, that I was not in this place when our kids were, were small. Um, though I'm, I'm getting in this place now and I'm a big fan of it's, you know, my, it's, it's, a, it's all about being process based. Um, though I myself have not been, um, I'm not sure if it's just my wiring or my upbringing, but I actually, since I lived out of my car for a while, I really, I I I could live out of a duffel bag all the way through college and right through my young adulthood. It's really having kids that we start to gather stuff. I'm still pretty simple with left to my own devices. I just don't like the attachment. In fact, I don't even carry a purse because I like my hands free, to be truthful. Um, and then she talks about, she said, the ideal window before age six, she says, during those early years, kids are like sponges soaking up skills and habits by imitating what they see others do, says Payne. But even if your child is older, it's important to lead by example. The first step is de- is to declutter your own spaces. Start with the easiest and most lived-in rooms so you'll quickly see results and feel motivated, says Becker. That is very, very true, at least definitely for me, since with my wiring, I'm very predisposed to instant grat. I'm a big fan. I actually want some, as I say, sometimes I want things yesterday and we are still renovating our house. We took a little break in the middle. And so when there's stuff all over that there is now, it kind of makes me feel like my head could just implode. Um, But as far as following this tip, I've been doing this upstairs and taking, you know, the smallest, even actually we start with a corner because our upstairs is very open. So it really isn't broken into a bunch of little rooms. It's, it's kind of wide open. So I've started in, in a corner and I kind of move over like a windshield wiper and it's really working because when it feels like part of your house is completely feng shui and sort of Spartan, it makes it, at least for me, it makes it easier to do the area that's next to it because you can see the peace of mind, let's say to the right of the room. For us, that's the kitchen. Because the kitchen part is is done now. We're on the working on the living room, and the kitchen is very just Spartan and open. And also, um, interestingly, with the principles of feng shui, I've noticed uh, the couple of young adult children we have home wanting to be in there a lot. And that's of course one of the principles of feng shui. Um, just paraphrasing in a very general sense, is you want you want to want to be in the room. 
So our kitchens become very, very inviting. The room next to it is a bit disastrous because it's being worked on. And our room, our bedroom is entirely disastrous because that's where the stuff is while they're working on the living room. So I have two extremes going on right now. Our kitchen, you feel like you could do Zumba in and create and paint and write all kinds of creative things because it's so open and sunny and cleared out and it's just this open space. And then you've got our bedroom, which is sort of temporarily holding the stuff while we do the room next to it where I don't even want to be in there. And the idea is to want to want to be in the room. So we want to model this for our kids. And if you can have the conversation with them that they're old enough, that's that much better. How can we, let's say the child's 10. How can we, you know, want, how, how do you think you, you would want to be in your room more? Why, what can we do? Maybe there's shelves, maybe there's, you know, moving some furniture around and then obviously, you know, getting rid of what, what isn't needed anymore. And of course, another one is one of my favorite ones. You know, I was talking about uh, being, you know, a a little child in the, in the seventies and just the TV, you know, you watch the Grinch, which of course, back then there were no DVDs or anything. So you waited all year and, you know, talk of the third grade was you watching the Grinch, you're watching the Grinch, you're watching Charlie Brown. Yes. And then there were like a thousand commercials in that, you know, half an hour time loaded with, with toys. Well, today's kids are not, you know, that was, that was our only you know, like the seduction window for, for stuff. Um, but now as you're all aware, you know, 24 seven on the computers, on the phones, it just, there's, so the best way to limit, you know, a limit and block advertising is to limit, restrict, block screen time, computers and phones, especially, I mean, it's a good idea anyway, because, you know, the, you know, the average, uh, um, Screen time is about, um, well, I think it's about eight hours a week. It's between six and eight hours a week right now for teenagers, preteens and teenagers. Think of that. And that doesn't count work or school. That's leisure time. So, you know, somewhere in the vicinity last around is like 63 hours a week. And that's crazy. Um, 60 to 63 hours a week. Last I read someplace. I can't like rattle off that source right now, but I know that it's way up there. And so think about all that exposure especially this time of year, to stuff. And and without the ability to see around the corner, your diminished ability to see around the corner, like grownups can, because their prefrontal cortices aren't fully developed until they're 25. So it's just bling, 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 shiny objects, you know, um, like like fishies in a, in a lake seeing a shiny lure, you know, biting the hook. And uh, so really the best way to block advertisements is to block the screens, just restrict them. Um, you know, set a time limit every day. And also if they're old enough, because obviously it depends on the age, uh, have a talk with them about this advertising because kids are not aware of persuasive intent. They just aren't. They, they, that is nowhere in their in their heads. They're just seeing the shiny object and, you know, that kind of stimulates the reward centers and, and just the disease of wanting. So very important to have the conversation if they're old enough. Lisa Armstrong talks about the gift conundrum. She says, to avoid getting a deluge of toys, clothes, and other stuff for holidays or birthdays, experts say to ask relatives and family friends for experiences instead of things. The key is to be specific. Cassandra Larson, a mother of three in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, states exactly what her children would like to do. Sufji has asked family and friends not to give her children gifts, 
period. They get three gifts each from Santa at Christmas, as well as cash to donate to someone in need. I love that idea. Softy says that the first year the family did this, her children weren't quite on board, and the youngest wanted to know why he couldn't spend the money on toys for himself. Last year, they felt great about giving the money to an immigrant in need who works near their school. I love that idea about the giving the kids money to give away. And it makes sense that maybe year one, they were, you know, not totally sold on it, but the next year the kids being excited to give it, to give this to um, an immigrant person in need at their local school. I absolutely love that. You know, the other thing she talks about is that when we, you know, we start the kids, start our kids from the ground up. She says that this whole minimalist lifestyle thing, she said, helping your child focus on positive values can also help her deal with jealousy she might feel when kids show up at school with the latest cool gadget. That's another issue with the stuff thing. It's also true for grownups when social media just blows us right out of the pool is a whole idea of social comparison. Again, because you know these kids are 24-7 seeing what other kids have and uh you know in, in our, our this wonderful country of ours and i love the united states we you know obviously it's a wealthy country so kids are seeing lots of gadgets um that sneak their way into school and um this causes social comparison and then when they're tweens and teens and they have access to social media they can literally check 24 7 if they're not limited and see you know who has what especially at this time of year and social comparison is a straight road to happiness and discontent. So, trying to keep these sh- you know short if I can. So, the main theme is here is to limit the stuff, limit the screen time, and spend money on experiences rather than stuff and making memories for a lifetime. This is Kimberly Quinn signing off from Northern Vermont. Have a mindful and minimalist day. Thank you.